0: I've always been fascinated by conspiracy theories. I think everyone kind of is, you know, the unexplained, why things happen, the secret, the, you know, the truth behind things, not the official line. I mean, it's it's a it's it's appealing stuff. They've been around forever, of course. You know, they go back as far as the death of Nero in sixty eight A D, the assassination of JFK. Of course, they cover all kinds of different events and phenomenon and so on i mean it's hard to imagine a major world incident that hasn't spawned a whole series of conspiracies around it and they range from the mundane to the fascinating to honestly the downright dangerous around 2017 a new one arrived in that very long tradition qAnon it was really built for a modern age it started online um you know the core falsehood at you know of it and this is going to sound ridiculous, but this was the core falsehood, a group of Satan worshiping elites who run a child sex ring are trying to control our politics and media. That was the core of it. And of course, given that it started up very much, much on the fringes that, you know, the people at the center of this were Hillary Clinton for obvious reasons, Uh, you know, always much demonized on the right. Donald Trump was seen as a great savior in this whole story. Um, And it was, you know, it picked up a lot of press. You probably read about it. I read about it without really knowing what it was. You know, you look into it, but it was hard to really figure out what it was. A lot of it was sort of codified and it was a bit of a secret language. But then it became more mainstream. Fast forward a few years to 2020 and so on. And, you know, with the lockdowns of the pandemic and uh, other issues, other societal things that were going on, and then really the 2020 presidential election. The notion that the election had been stolen. Uh, You know, QAnon was part of that. You know, it was part of the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol on January the 6th. Um, And by that point, an NPR poll in the States found that 17% of Americans believed in some of what was being peddled. Again, at the center of it all has been former President Donald Trump, both the object of adulation within the conspiracy and increasingly something that he appears to embrace. How much he really embraces it, who knows? He's often said he knows nothing about it except they think he's great, which is great. Uh, But at a recent rally in Ohio, this is prior to the midterms, he was campaigning for J.D. Vance, who went on to win. Um, There was some music being played under the former president's speech as the crowd, apparently simultaneously, not everyone, but a lot of people raised their index fingers in the air to people that know the music sounded identical to the QAnon theme song. And this was a conspiracy theory salute. Here's what he had to say. It was hardworking patriots like you who built this country. And it is hardworking
1: patriots like you who are going to save our country We will stand up to the radical left lunatics and rhinos, and we will fight for America like no one has ever fought before.
0: Yeah, you recognize the voice. The music is really what you're supposed to be listening to there. Um, Now, the conspiracy itself has kind of moved into mainstream politics, perhaps not in a huge way. Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia, probably the most famous of those. Lorraine Bobart, uh, also famous as well in all this. Marjorie, rather, I'm getting that name wrong. Um, but the midterms show there was some limited appeal there. You know, those who who espoused conspiracies didn't do too well. Uh, about 20 made it onto the congressional ballot in November. Only two, uh, including Green, were actually elected. But meantime, the movement has been evolving, growing, leaving behind its roots, moving into other countries, including Canada. So tonight we're going to learn more about its origins, the evolution, and the threat that it poses. And to help us do that is journalist Mike Rothschild. He's the author of a book called The Storm is Upon Us, How QAnon Became a Movement, Cult, and the Conspiracy Theory of Everything. And he joins us from Los Angeles. Thanks for your time. Thanks for having me. I think oftentimes people see QAnon written about, spoken about, opined upon, but aren't exactly sure what, ex- what that means. So this all started about five years ago now.
1: It did. And the, the answer to the question, what is QAnon, almost depends on when you're asking it. For the first three plus years of its existence, really up until Joe Biden's inauguration, Q was a movement that was focused on Donald Trump carrying out a secret purge of the deep state and the Democratic Party and the Hollywood and business elite. All this would start with a tweet from Trump where he would say, my fellow Americans, the storm is upon us. And then there would be a vast unsealing of, uh, of indictments and all of these hundreds of thousands of people would be snapped up and tried in the field. And the verdict would always be guilty and the punishment would always be death. And there, there was this very built out story that went with QAnon. And, you know, it was always about to happen. It was soon. It was a few weeks. It was we just need to get a few more things in order. You know, this is such a big upheaval. It all has to be perfect. And then suddenly Trump wasn't the president anymore. So the idea that he could uh, enact a purge of the deep state on Twitter, which he also wasn't on anymore, he, he really had no power anymore. He couldn't do it. And of course, a, a person with a more logical bent would say, well, he had all this time to do it. Why didn't he do it? Why are we still talking about this? But of course, when you're really deeply enmeshed in a conspiracy theory, you're not talking logically. You're not answering very simple questions. You're, you're so desperate to believe it You're so desperate to keep the story going that you'll do anything and you will believe anything. And so now we're at a point where Q is a much more mainstream philosophy. It's much more about just, you know, election fraud in general and COVID-19 being a hoax and cancel culture and the culture war and all of this kind of standard right-wing Republican stuff. It's not so much about a purge of the deep state. It's not so much about the occult. You know, those things don't have a lot of power anymore. But Q's philosophy is really very mainstream in American conservatism now.
0: Yeah. I mean, I mean you've spoken about how it went from being, you know, a sort of a cool secret club, as you you meant you described it, into really something that you hear about quite frequently coming out of the mouths of certain people running for office, even I mean, people of influence, to be honest.
1: Right. They don't talk about the really bizarre aspects of it. They don't talk about the the, the decoding and the numerology and the sacrifices and rituals and baby's blood, that stuff is not really appealing to most people. But Q is now very appealing as kind of a, a way of seeing things as saying, well, you know, they, they took the election from us and they forced lockdowns on us. And what are we going to do about it? How are we going to fight back? Q becomes much more of a method of kind of organizing information. And of course, the things that QAnon believers think are true are so popular in American conservatism that you can't really push back against them. You you can't be a Republican in in many instances if you don't believe that the election was fraudulent. So you now have a a movement where the the mythology of it is very mainstream, even if the really weird aspects are, are not really talked about anymore
0: um who is q so people understand and 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 fascinatingly enough how did one among so many conspiracy theories out there how did that one catch on
1: well that's a great question and i think it really goes to a lot of the history of of what went into qAnon and i write about this quite a bit in the book you know these long running scams and frauds and you know anti-semitic tropes going back to the middle ages but to me what really caught on with q why The the QAnon meme caught on when a lot of these other things, a lot of these other anonymous 4chan posters like FBI Anon and White House Insider never got any kind of real traction is because it really revolved around Hillary Clinton being arrested. And the American right has basically been in a kind of trance for the last 30 something years over When is Hillary Clinton going to get what's coming to her? She's involved in all of these horrible things. She and Bill are the worst people on earth. They get away with everything, going all the way back to things like Whitewater and Travelgate, you know, these conspiracy theories that seem like they're from another generation. And they really are. But Q really focused in on Hillary Clinton getting arrested. That was the first Q post was Hillary's going to go down. And I think a lot of people who maybe would have looked kind of sideways at some of these things looked at this and went, finally, it's going to happen. The thing that we've dreamed of for so long and, and, and they just talked themselves into it being real just because they so desperately wanted it to be real.
0: It reminds me of seeing sort of certain tabloids at the grocery store in the early 90s. I mean, it's it's sort of the same, it's recycling the same narrative. Sort it's of. totally the same narrative, yeah. When we look at it now though, and you mentioned it's become the conspiracy of everything, it really has evolved into something quite different. How dangerous do you think that is when you have a segment of the population who, I mean, people have always believed in conspiracies, right? I guess what makes this one different from conspiracy theories and theorists of the past?
1: Sure. And and people have always believed in conspiracy theories. And that kind of conspiracy ideation, I, I think is very American. The idea that there are powerful forces that are controlling us and, you know, somebody's out to get us and, you know, our, our failures Are not because of us they're because of some nebulous power that doesn't want us to be successful that's very appealing to people it makes you feel like you are important if you have powerful important enemies q has just kind of taken that innate desire and turned it into a a sort of a tom clancy style techno thriller So there are codes and and ciphers and things to, uh, to decode and decrypt and riddles and rhetorical questions. And it's something that you can participate in and move the story forward On your own, you don't need to have any kind of special knowledge or special abilities. You just need to be kind of unsatisfied with what you're being told. And it it really taps into this feeling that we have, especially right now, but I think we've always had that we're being lied to, that the media is lying to us. The politicians are lying to us. Big business is lying to us. Banking is lying to us. Hollywood is lying to us. And the acolytes that we've glommed onto, those are the people telling us the truth. So whether it's Q right now, or it's Alex Jones, or it would have been a figure like David Icke, or the John Birch Society, these are the people who know what's going on and are giving us the truth about what's really going on.
0: Mike Rothschild is with us this half hour. He's a journalist, author of The Storm Is Upon Us, How QAnon Became a Movement, Cult and Conspiracy Theory of Everything. Uh, Mike, you were mentioning it before, this notion of secret knowledge is still very important, right? I know something that you don't. And if you don't believe the way I do, then you're basically a sheep, right? That's always the, the criticism thrown out there.
1: Yeah, it, it's, it, it makes people feel like their little lives are much more important than they really are. You know, that feeling of, I am special. I am important. I know what's really going on. And if you don't listen to me, then you're the crazy one. You think I'm crazy. Well, I think you're crazy because you believe the lies. You're taking the vaccines. You're, you, you're voting like your vote matters, like it won't be stolen. There's almost a kind of smugness about it. And to the point where people kind of don't want to be around you anymore. And then it proves, oh, you're just stuck in your in your sheeple life. You know, you don't want to know what's going on.
0: Yeah, you can't handle the truth, right? To quote a famous line. Um, Q has stopped. I mean, I think there was one recently, but Q is more or less in all of this. The oddity, of course, is that Q has is kind of disappeared.
1: And it's, it's interesting because a lot of the questions I would get around the time when Q is really actively posting, is it a cult? And I would think, well, Q is not really the, a, a traditional kind of cult guru. And then, of course, Q disappeared entirely, only to come back a little bit over the summer. And then recently, there have been some other Q posts, but they're, they're very low energy. They're, they're very low effort, kind of poorly written. And, and the Q community is not particularly excited about it. I, they seem like they've moved on from their need for cryptic posts and and you know clue deciphering and riddles. I think they want action. They want to know that there won't be another stolen election in 2024. There won't be another round of lockdowns and what they think are forced vaccinations. They don't need riddles. They need action. And Q is only able to provide riddles.
0: So what happens to a movement such as Q if it becomes bigger, broader, and leaderless.
1: You know, you have some very hardcore elements who are still very devoted to the Q drops and very devoted to the mythology. You know, some of the groups like the negative 48 group that's in Dallas right now, they've been there for a year and they're reading Q drops like their scriptures, waiting for JFK Jr. to come back. But then other groups are focusing much more on coronavirus or on the 2020 election or on the 2022 midterms they're taking the, the really strange parts of QAnon and, and kind of sanding them off because they don't really translate without new Q drops. But you have a lot of people who've internalized this mythology and they don't need Q anymore. You know, people don't go to church asking their pastor, hey, when are we going to get new books of the Bible? You know, we've had these for thousands of years. When are we going to get some new stuff? Right. They don't want new stuff. The, the, the old stuff gives them everything that they need, and some parts of it maybe don't work as well anymore. So those parts are discarded or forgotten about. But they reinterpret these scriptures over and over and over for whatever is going on in the news and in their lives
0: right now. And as you mentioned, it's, always, it's often the same narrative, right? The, the puppeteer, the puppet master is always the narrative, it seems at least. Some, you know, some force behind the scenes is controlling everything to your disadvantage.
1: Right. There's never going to be anything particularly new in any of these movements. You know, if you look at the tropes of of QAnon, this is all stuff that was spouted 100 years ago by anti-Semitic pamphlets. You know, the idea of of a hidden hand or the secret government controlling all of the world's wealth. This is not something that was made up on 4chan. It was just packaged in a much more a uh, new and seeming kind of uh, presentation, you know, very social media friendly, very shareable, but it's the same stuff. And it's always going to be the same stuff.
0: When you look at the social media aspect of this, uh, it, it, there had been sort of, at least on some of the more mainstream social media platforms, such as Twitter, there had been sort of a concerted effort to try to get rid of some of this stuff. We're seeing it come back though, aren't we?
1: Yeah, we really are. And for a long time, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, they really had no idea what to do with any of this, and they really didn't do anything. Um, you know, Twitter allowed this to to prosper with no oversight whatsoever. Facebook really was the same during the early days of the pandemic. It really took until about the summer of 2020 for some of these sites to start to crack down on some of this stuff. And really only after January 6th, was was QAnon almost completely banished from Twitter? But now, of course, there's new ownership and the rules are really being relaxed, and it's it's very much in flux right now. A lot of the promoters are talking about coming back, but some of them haven't been unbanned yet, and it's not clear if they will be. Um, you know, they're also really liking places like Telegram and Truth Social, where there's not much oversight and they can kind of say what they want, and it's easier to monetize a lot of what they're doing. So it's it's really still very much up in the air how the new Twitter ownership is going to affect the conspiracy movement.
0: Mike Rothschild is still with us, a journalist, author of The Storm is Upon Us about QAnon. Uh, we've been talking about both the origins of QAnon, how it persists, evolves, the threat that it poses. Uh, Mike, I was curious to see, and I think you wrote about this as well, that a lot of the candidates in the 2022 midterms who were more out there when it came to sort of uh, spewing some of the conspiracy stuff didn't do well. Uh, do you think there is a recognition now out there? There's sort of a pushback as more and more of us. I mean, you mentioned how it went from being sort of a you know, sort of a secret club to being mainstream. And when something becomes mainstream, more people know about it, more people push back against it.
1: Yeah, it was very heartening to me to see the failure of most of these really hardcore QAnon candidates. And a lot of these election deniers who ran for secretary of state positions, not only lost, they significantly underperformed a lot of other Republicans running in those states. We saw that happen in Nevada, where the Republican flipped the gubernatorial office but the Republican secretary of state candidate, a very, very hardcore election denier who had claimed that he wouldn't have certified Joe Biden in 2020 and he would never certify a Democrat. He he underperformed by three or four points less than the than the gubernatorial candidate who won. So I think it was really a lot of Americans saying we'll accept a lot, but there are things that we will not accept. We, we are not quite ready to be the generation that abandons. Uh, representative democracy in the United States. It, it made me feel good. You know, it made me feel like maybe there are people who are listening and maybe there is just a line that you can't quite cross yet.
0: And yet Donald Trump uh, has announced uh, his candidacy, at least to be the uh, Republican nominee for the 2024 presidential election. Uh, Twitter is under new ownership. We're seeing a bit. Do you feel like there is a chance that that the whole thing could gain momentum once again? Or is it maybe... Yesterday's yesterday's conspiracy theory.
1: I think that QAnon, as we knew it, you know, with the drops and, and all that stuff, that probably has gone about as far as it can go. But these ideas now are extremely popular. And of course, Trump is using Truth Social to share all of these QAnon memes and the, these QAnon images. And his followers are loving that. And he's feeling like, you know, these are his people and they've got his back. It really remains to be seen how much he's going to talk about this stuff as his campaign goes forward. I mean, you know, we got a long way to go until there's any primary elections. It seems like a long time to sustain a, uh, a presidential campaign when nobody else is campaigning. But, you know, he definitely feels like these people are are his group and, and the, they love him no matter what. And he's going to pander to that. And I think a lot of other Republicans are maybe just a little bit tired of it. And a little bit tired of Trump sucking all of the oxygen out of every single room he goes into. So I think it's going to remain to be seen how the conspiracy movement is going to handle it if the Republican Party at large starts to turn away from Trump. You know, Are they going to stay loyal to Trump or are they going to kind of unite behind the idea that any Republican is better than a Democrat? We just don't know yet.
0: It's interesting that because it's expanded beyond that initial, you know, arrest of Hillary Clinton, Trump is Trump is some sort of savior, uh, that it's become easier to export as well. Because clearly we have I, we have QAnon followers in this country, in Canada, and elsewhere around the world. Uh, when you get rid a bit a bit of the, sort of the specifics of the mythology, it becomes a more exportable product conspiracy in general.
1: Yeah, it really does, and that's really how QAnon uh, prospered in other countries. You know, QAnon became very popular in Germany, very popular in France, um, became very popular in Japan. And what would happen is the believers in those countries would take the parts of QAnon that were the most universal, the sort of anti-authority, you know, everybody's lying to you, save the children, all that stuff. And they would discard the much more America-centric elements, but also combine it with some of their local politics and local culture. So it, it became a movement that was very adaptable to every country. If you just change some of the details somewhat, a lot of what's in QAnon is, is universal. It's always been universal. You know, this idea that people have the power and you know, we can create memes and videos and, and you know, cast off our oppression, that's going to appeal to people pretty much anywhere.
0: Yeah and and especially in a Canadian context because we are pretty we we have a pretty keen understanding of the American context. Uh, it makes it even more interesting because there is sort of a blend of the two in the Canadian conspiracy world.
1: Yeah, you you take the the parts of it that fit best with your own culture and you run with those. And the rest of it, you know, people don't need to care about the intricacies of the US Supreme Court or, you know, the US Senate, but the idea that the media is lying to you and America is exporting satanism and pedophilia around the world you know that's stuff, that's stuff that a lot of people can get behind
0: where to now do you think then uh i guess it's sort of become ingrained i mean i i, I don't know it well enough to recognize when it's when when it's being peddled to be honest uh yeah uh, do it's, you but you, you must obviously
1: yeah yeah i mean i definitely recognize the catchphrases and the hashtags and yeah, the concepts but so many of those things are just universal conspiracy theory ideas you know, stuff that really would have been at home in a, you know, homemade pamphlet in the 1890s or a you know, video sold at a truck stop in the 1980s. You know, this stuff doesn't change that much from generation to
0: generation. Do you combat it or do you actively combat it or do you let it run its course, do you think? It's really, really difficult because any
1: effort at actively combating it is going to be pulled into the conspiracy as proof that you are, you know, over the target. You know, they're only shooting at you because... You are getting close to the truth. The, the way to really combat it is not through sort of large scale debunking. I mean, that that's very useful when you have people who are encountering it for the first time, when you have people whose family members are sucked into it and they're really looking for answers. They're not people who would believe it themselves. That's when, you know, large scale kind of debunking or, or pre debunking, which is becoming more popular, that can be effective. But when you have a Q believer or a stolen election believer or an anti-vaxxer in your family, it really has to be done with a, a high degree of empathy. And of course, it's really hard to have empathy for election deniers and insurrectionists and anti-vaxxers. You know, these are not people who um, necessarily radiate warmth and you, you don't really want to be around these people. You don't have to have sympathy for them. But if there is that person in your life who is really getting sucked into this, The thing that you can do for them is just to kind of let them know that you still care and let them know that you are out there, that you don't want to talk about QAnon. You don't want to talk about how, you know, COVID is a hoax created in a bio lab by George Soros. That's not something you're interested in, but you are there for them if they want to talk about regular life things or they want to unplug or these things start to um, stop making sense to them then you have give, you've presented yourself as kind of a safe harbor when everybody else has probably turned away from them.
0: Yeah, you don't want to shut people down completely. That just reinforces what they believed in in the first place, right?
1: Right, it reinforces the persecution complex, the idea that I'm onto something, they're all out to get me, they all hate me. If everybody has told you that they hate you or cut you out of your life, well, that's only going to reinforce that. But if you have somebody who just sort of stubbornly sticks around and says, hey, I still care about you, let me know if you need anything or you should check in on them every so often. Now, that that doesn't mean you have to have sympathy for insurrectionists or racists. I, I would never ask that of anyone. But if you really do want this person in your life still, there are things that you can do. And the first thing you can do is really just be there.
0: As a last question, as a journalist, as an investigative journalist and an author, do you worry at all that when these sorts of conspiracy theory movements become quite mainstream and talked about quite a bit. I mean it's it's important that we still question, right? It's important that we doubt. Um but when something like a QAnon comes along, it starts to blur the lines between conspiracy and just and normal skepticism. And that could be a little strange to navigate, I imagine. Oh
1: absolutely. I I you know I think that we should question what we're told. We should, you know, seek answers. We shouldn't be satisfied with just sort of pat statements and, and, you know, being fobbed off with, with, you know, giveaways or things like that. We should always be skeptical, particularly of claims that don't make a lot of sense. The problem with QAnon is that it doesn't make a lot of sense. And it transforms you into a person who thinks that you are questioning everything. In reality, though, you're just shutting yourself off from not only your, your life, but of, of, being able to trust and to appreciate things. QAnon turns people very cynical, very bitter, very dour. And I don't think healthy skepticism should involve any of that.
0: Mike Rothschild, thank you so much. Thank you.